Okay. We reach out in love is one of the values that Grace Fellowship have. And we've been looking through the values uh, in the last few weeks. And this is the last of the four values that we're spending some time in studying. Um, <clears throat> I would say it's the one value uh, possibly of all churches uh, that this is one that you, you might say is under threat or at risk. And what I mean by that is that sometimes we might say something and we really want it to be the case. But uh, unless there's actually evidence of it, uh, we have to honestly say we have to remove it unless there's evidence of it. And if there is evidence of it, and we believe that there is plenty of evidence of it within Grace Fellowship, uh, then, then it needs to be able to stay. Um, so do we reach out in love? I believe the answer to that is yes, uh, in some measure. And my prayer, and I hope your prayer, is that, that this is something that we will increasingly do. Um, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about a phrase that we often use. Um, sometimes you hear it used at the beginning of a service. Sometimes you hear it used when a flight is, is landing. Uh, and it's four words, and it goes like this. I would like to. I would like to welcome you to Belfast International Airport. At the beginning of a service, sometimes with a a ministerial voice you might hear, well, it's uh, my uh, pleasure indeed to, I would like to, uh, sorry, I didn't do that right, sure didn't. <laughs> I've done this too much. I would like to take this opportunity to welcome you to Grace Fellowship. I would like to welcome Lord and Lady such and such to this venue and all of the people who are here at this venue. We use these words, I would like to, I would like to, I certainly would like to have some chocolate and so I get some chocolate. I would like to go on holiday and so I save up and I go on holiday. So why do we say, I would like to welcome you? Why don't we just say, you're welcome? I think it's a phrase that we use inaccurately. It's also a phrase that we could use very usefully. For example, we might not want to say something and we could be slightly misleading. I would like to tell you how well you look in that dress this morning. <laughs> I would like to tell you how handsome you are with that new haircut. And so it goes on. So watch out for that when you hear it. <laughs> and maybe use it. I would like to. We use it inaccurately, but I think we could use it very accurately sometimes when we talk about our faith. I would like to share my faith. And I think that's a fair statement. But maybe it's something we don't get round to doing as much as we would like. And it just stays at the accurately saying, I would like to share my faith. Or I would like to reach out in love. We're going to look at the reach out in love. And as I was thinking about this, I was wondering how would we tackle it. And I, and I saw an advert for W5 and I thought, yeah, let's go with that. So I'm going to going to look at five different ways of, of exploring this. Uh, not in the same order, but who, why, where, what, and when. Don't panic if you get to the end of number two and you work out. The maths suggest that we're going to be here until three. Uh, some of them are much shorter than others. So the first one is who. Uh, who are we reaching out to? I was reading some statistics recently. I was doing a wee bit of research and I discovered that, uh, it'll come as no surprise to you, that the percentage of the population of the church, particularly in the UK, has been in decline uh, from 30-odd percent, or over 30 percent, uh, way back in 1930, 
uh, right down to just over 10% in, in 2013. And in the last five years, the uh, percentage of church membership has dropped in the UK. And this is not uh, just in the UK, by the way, uh, by about 5%. Although there are some trends in some evangelical and some charismatic uh, contexts where the, where the church numbers are rising, but overall the numbers are falling. Fresh expressions have grown exponentially, I'm told. But in Northern Ireland, the numbers aren't so small, but the rate of decline is probably greater. The bottom line is that we are, if we are call ourselves followers of Christ, we are in a minority in this country. And there are those that go to church for many different reasons. Some go because they are followers of Christ and they go to join with their brothers and sisters in fellowship. There's others that come to search because they want to hear more about this apparent powerful message. One that we believe passionately is a message of release, is a message of hope, is a message of joy. And there are some that go just because it's the thing to do. The sort of Vicar of Dibley image that you see on TV. A kind of respectable thing. And I suspect a lot of that uh, type of culture is dropping. Uh, and that's a lot to do with why numbers are dropping. But the bottom line, as I say, is that we're in a minority. And as I was driving along uh, one day, I, it was a sunny day, and I saw all these folk coming out of church. And I thought to myself, as I saw other people driving to the coast, what did they think of those that were coming out of church? What do people out there think of us when they see us coming in here, when they see us leaving here? What do they think of us? I don't know the answer to that question, but I was reading what a, a, a guy called Ray Stedman said a few years ago. He was an American pastor, and he's talking in the context of America, but I'm not sure that it's totally inaccurate uh, in terms of what people think of us. Now, this is his perception about what people out there think of us in here. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not, this hasn't come from out there. This has come from his perception. And this is what he says. Christians are men and women who have, by their own self-will, achieved a certain level of morality. They don't do certain secular things while they do certain religious things. They've come to regard themselves as members of a very exclusive club, which is especially favoured by God, so that they get many special divine favours. They gather weekly to perform certain rather meaningless rituals, and they believe a number of unprovable claims, but take them by blind faith. The result of this is the production of men and women who are essentially smug, bigoted and narrow-minded, who as the course of history has gone on have become responsible for terrible wars, bloodshed, cruelty and prejudice. They're self-righteous and think of themselves especially as holy people because they don't smoke, drink, gamble or play cards or go to the movies, at least some of those. <laughs> so bless you all. Why do people think that of us? And I'm not saying they do. First of all, can I tell you, I really believe that's an unfair portrayal. It really is. And I think it comes somewhat from uh, fake Christianity, people who try to mimic the real thing. But somehow the real thing, the genuine product, the person who is within us, um, the witness, the testimony of that is affected if that's what people out there think of us in here. That's not the followers of Christ I know. That's not the image of the folk of the church that I know. 
So I have to ask the question, if that's what people out there, possibly, it's not necessarily all people think that, thankfully, but what am I doing about it? Because Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and what glorify your Father in heaven. So if we're rays of salt and rays of light and uh, grains of salt permeating in the world around us, how come the negative image of our faith is held by some? What influence am I in the world around? And as I thought about this, I started to ask myself, who are my friends? Who are the people that I am uh, in contact with? Who are my close friends, the people who I'm in regularly contact with? Or who are my good friends who I see reasonably often? And as I thought about this, I realized, do you know what? My closest friends, my, the small number of closest friends that I have, all of them would be followers of Christ. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. So don't, don't beat yourself up about this if that's your experience. But equally, my close friends, a small number of them, a small number of them, I would say, are not people of like mind in the sense where they're not people who are currently followers of Christ. There are some who aren't. And so I I asked a number of people, uh, some in this church and some outside this church, and I asked them, I did a wee mini survey, and I got about 20 responses. And I asked the question, tell me how many close friends you have, that sort of inner core, and tell me how many close, uh, like, 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 like good friends you have. So maybe, maybe up to about 20. Uh, uh, so about maybe four or five very close friends up to that and, and maybe up to 20. Uh, and the results were this, that um, 76% of good friends were Christians. That means about five out of 20 were not. And of the closest friends, 85%, about three out of 20 of all the closest friends that we have are Uh, don't know Christ, don't have a personal relationship. And so I began to think, that's me and my influence, and that's the church. And most of my front line, most of my influence is within the context of church. And can I say, first of all, if you filled out that survey and are thinking, oh my goodness, um, a lot of the folk that do this, it's not all about what friends you have. I, I want to be really clear about that. Uh, many of the folk that I talk to, you know, I, I've got work connections, I've got family connections, I've got lots of different things that they're doing. So this is not, this is not a, a matter of beating ourselves up here, but it just made me think about it. Have a think about it yourself. I suspect for some of the younger folk in our, in our, in our uh, fellowship, probably that number of people who they are close friends with outside the context of Christianity is higher. I suspect that most of us who are older are more likely to be in our bubble. And that's kind of the image that I got of, of, of all of us as we sort of talk about our front lines. Are we salt and light to each other for the most part? That challenges me. Now, there's many things that encourage me that I'll come back to, but it challenges me as I look at myself What challenges me too, as I think that we're in a world that you might say is a world of darkness, because darkness is simply absence of light, is the fact that we are also in a world of need. I was reading some statistics recently. Even in the UK on our doorstep, 28% of children are deemed to be living in poverty. 10 million in the UK, by the government's own definition, are are below absolute low income. 
62% of single homeless people don't even appear on statistics because they're unknown, they're hidden. And 55%, there's been a 55% increase in those who sleep rough in the last five years. And I guess I come back to the question, how come we as a church somehow don't seem to be able to draw or attract those who were drawn to Jesus? Because another statistic I read was when you look at the, the different socioeconomic classes, that's a class word to throw in, lads, if you're ever wanting to impress people. I don't know what it means. But if, you, if, if you're in the long-term unemployed context, you're the least likely group to attend church. I find that sobering. So I wonder if we looked a bit more like Jesus, is it possible that we might attract the ones that he did? So the who then? I guess when we're thinking of who, this first category, are we seeking, who are we seeking to reach out and love? We live in a world which is full of darkness and we live in a world full of need. So as we think about the who, we move on to why. Why should we be reaching out in love? Well, we live in a world of darkness and by darkness I'm not making a judgment except to say it's an absence of light. We're called to be light. We live in a world full of need and we are called to serve. And I'm certain, therefore, that this value of reaching out in love is fundamental to our faith. It's not about reaching out so that we attain salvation. We've got the fact that Christ has done all that is required and our putting our faith in him has brought us this hope, this, this eternal security that starts now. But in response to him, reaching out in love, I believe, is fundamental. When Isaiah was, was, was prophesying to the people, uh, the, the, the Israelites, they were thinking how much it was important that God would judge the surrounding nations. And they had their own fasts and festivals. And they were asking the question, what sort of fast should we have? And this it tells us something about the heart of God in Isaiah 58. You can look it up sometime if you want. This is what God said through the prophet Isaiah. This is the kind of fast I am after, to break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, to free the oppressed, to cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor to your homes and putting on clothes on the shivering ill-clad. And Jesus, who came to seek and save the lost, declared, if you remember, we've said it before many a time, he was anointed to what? Proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he says to me, follow me. So, interesting to note that when we think of who we are trying to reach out to, the most common accusation from what I see that was laid at Jesus was not he was a blasphemer, was not he was a rebel, it was that he was a friend of sinners. I'm not saying everybody out there is a sinner. I'm not passing that judgment. I'm saying that somehow we're all lost without him. And according to Christianity magazine, uh, I read an article on social action in the church. These are some of the examples that the church has been getting involved in, getting much more seriously, taking up much more uh, uh, social action much more seriously. There's been a dramatic rise in the church in the last 20 years. And that reminds me to say to you, in our own community, the food bank right now require lots of food, but in particular tinned rice, 
uh, fruit, tin potatoes. I didn't know there was such a thing as tin potatoes. Um, it sounds great to me. Juice, diluting juice, and coffee. So if those are some of the things that you have, especially those, don't forget to bring it along. Here's the thing. When the church lives by doing some of these things, what I've noticed is that people wake up. People take notice. The bad press that we get is very different when it comes to these sort of things. Here's what Martin Lewis says about CAP. We were listening to CAP last week. Martin Lewis said this. He might have said this. I can't remember last week. CAP are unsurpassed when it comes to the debt help they give to people across the country. And then councillors, I read an article about a councillor who was talking, singing the praises of street pastors. And in Halifax in one year after Street Angels was launched, 42%, there was a 42% reduction in crime. So why? Why? Should we be reaching out in love? Well, we've said because darkness calls us to be light. Need calls us to serve. I believe this gives us opportunity to respond to God's love. The potential for the church to change lives in our own community and in all communities is monumental because it's a response, I believe, to God's love. So the question then, where? Who and why? Now where? We've heard some of the ways in which we can reach out this morning. Our doorstep, our front line, our neighborhoods to the ends of the earth. There are 50,000, this, this is a quote from Matt Bird who works for the Cinnamon Network. There are 50,000 branches of the local church in the UK and many remain too internally focused. So this is our church, maybe, and it's not for everybody, but maybe if some of us, me starting with me, have more friendships, more engagements outside the context of work. Uh, and it's, uh, Work can be a fantastic opportunity, but don't, don't, don't use this as your, as your statistic is what I'm saying. If we form real friendships with those in work, that's fantastic. But maybe if more of my influences were outside the context of church, maybe I would learn to speak outside the context of church. Maybe I'd learn to speak a different language. But the image of the church that I see in the New Testament is not one of this, here's the church, come into us. It's very much, we are the church. Let's get out there. There's nothing defined in Scripture as being a sacred space and a secular space. It's all God's. So the where is Rachel in Brazil. It's Paul in UAE. It's Farouz in California. It's the Marriott's in Mullingar. It's the Baileys in Roscommon. And there's many others. And it's you and me on our doorsteps. But more of that in a wee minute. Let's move on to the what. What does it mean to reach out in love? It's nothing new. It's what Christians have been doing for years. The 18th century Children were taught to read and write in Sunday school through the Christian influence. The beginning of the 19th century, slavery was abolished through Christian influence. So I want to just think for a wee minute at the how. In the context of what, I want to think about how do we do it? What does the Bible say about how we're meant to do this, how we're meant to reach out in love? Well, for Paul... I'm not going to spend too much time looking at this passage now. You can look it up yourself. Colossians 2 verses 4 to 6. Paul seemed to suggest that there were two types in the context of evangelism. There was the evangelist and there's one or two. There's a few of them. And there's the rest of us who are evangelistic believers. 
And if you read that passage in Colossians 2, he talks about them devoting themselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And he says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of God, uh, the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. And he talks about being wise, making the most of every opportunity, being full of grace, because the evangelist is someone who calls people to community, calls, calls people to Christ, and the rest of us are called to model that, to live in reaching out in what? Love. He understood that there was evangelistic believers who were not called to the public platform. And that's why Peter as well said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. Paul's message was that we had to be countercultural. We had to live in a very different way Believers in the early church had a massive impact on those around them. And when you look at history, you realize this. They sold property, they sold possessions to anyone who has need. And in the fourth century, there was this guy, an emperor. His name was Julian. And he looked and saw what the Christians were doing, and he started to get very worried. In fact, he got so worried that he thought that the Christians were going to take over the empire, it seems. And when you read some of the words that he said, you can see this fear. He noticed this, that Christians were devoted to generosity, that the result that they, was that they were leading many people to faith. And he saw them being led astray from the Roman religion and empire. He decided to launch an offensive against the Christians. He decided to try to outlove the Christians, to set up the pagan priests and all his officials to try to do something different for the Christians so he set, than the Christians. So he set up food distribution centers and hostels for all the poor travelers because he saw the Christians were doing it. And he said, hang on a minute, I'm getting worried here. These were his exact words. Why do we not observe that it's their benevolence to strangers um, their love to strangers, them being Christians, their care for the graves of the dead and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase atheism. For atheism read Christianity in his mind. I believe that we ought really and truly to practice every one of those virtues for it's disgraceful that when the impious Galileans, i.e. Christians, support not only their own poor but ours as well, all men see our lack of aid from us. And so he tried to launch this offensive, and guess what? He failed. Why did he fail? He failed, I absolutely believe, because his trips were not full of the Holy Spirit. His trips did not have the hope that each of us have. And he failed miserably. Because the Christians didn't just proclaim a message, they lived it. They were full of the Holy Spirit and grace. And I believe our call as Christians in is to live in a countercultural way in our community. And I know this will be music to many of your ears. What it means to reach out in love is to be sacrificially generous, ridiculously generous, scandalously gracious. Why? Because we have a hope. We have, we have a God who loves us that we want to return our love to because we're called to live servant-hearted we're called to be full of the Holy Spirit and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is the, that is the, the engine behind it all. We're motivated, what? By love. This is what 1 John says, 1 John 4. And this is the key to it all, guys. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Whoever lives in love, we're called to live 
in love. If we want to reach out in love, we're called to live in love. Later on, it's in verse 19 and 20. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, but yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. And Jesus said the greatest commandment was what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to live in love. And that can be a dangerous thing. It can also be a misunderstood thing. Because there'll be those that will say, yes, but what about the message? What about the gospel? And it's a really important, powerful message. And I was thinking about this. Because sometimes, and this is a very unkind picture that I came across. But this is sometimes the picture that people have of us as we try to portray the Christian message. I'm not saying that's the way we do it. And I'm not trying to point judgments at them. If any of you know them, please um, do not introduce me. Um, But it struck me the message they have is a bit like this card. It's not because it's a loyalty card for ground. It's just a card. There's a powerful message on it. But when people hear the powerful message and then look around the side and see absolutely nothing behind it, it becomes a really shallow message. Because people, you've, never heard, you've heard the message, practicing what you preach. When people see, don't see authenticity, the message becomes useless. You see, the two-dimensional picture of a card is not what we're given in the Bible if we are Christ followers. It's a three-dimensional image. We are told this. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are jars of clay. Clay because we're not perfect. But we're jars because within us, within us, is this surpassing power that we contain Christ. We contain hope when we go out. We contain joy when we go out. And Paul says, also in Colossians, you'll have come across this. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are called to carry Christ in these earthen vessels to a broken world. And you know something? Sometimes we're put off by that because we think we're broken ourselves. And I heard a lovely illustration of this uh, story of the, of, the, of the jars of clay. Because the image of the jars of clay is the fact that we are broken. You know, we, we are messed up. We have got cracks. And inside us is this treasure. The story is told of this, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll soon discover it's not a true story, but it, it's of this, of this little servant in India. And he's, he's traveling up the hill every day to his master's house. And he's carrying water up to his master's house. And he's got two jars that he carries with him. And he's got them on a bamboo cane across his shoulders. And on the right side is this jar. On the left side is this jar. And this one is cracked. And every day as he carries the water up to the master's house, he fills it at the bottom and he brings it to the top. And each day that it comes up, this one's totally full and this one's half full. And he does it every day. And this jar is feeling a wee bit humbled by the fact that, you know, things aren't really pouring out just as much as the other guy. And he said to the servant one day, look, I'm really sorry. I have to admit, I'm cracked. The servant said, I know. And he said, but, but, but when you get to the top of the hill, 
only half the water that you put into me is available. And the other rather smug one on the left goes, yes, and all of my water is prepared for the master's table and none of it is lost. And the servant thought, and he took the two pots, strange pots because they talked, <laughs> down the path and he said, I want you to look at something. And on the left-hand side of the path, there was hardened dirt that was trampled in. And on the right-hand side of the path, there was wildflowers. And they asked him, why are the wildflowers there? And he said, well, I know that you're a crackpot. <laughs> and I threw some seeds down of wildflower because every day as I travel up to the master, I bring you with me and water spills out a new life is grown. And every day I take those flowers and I put them on the master's table. And there's a lovely image of that, that God can use our brokenness, that people see through it because they see God's power in us. And never think that you're not worthy of carrying that. If you belong to him, you hold something very precious. 1 John 4, 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. We are hope carriers. We're joy carriers. We carry Christ wherever we go. Maybe I have to get out more. So when? Well, when? Every day. That's what we say in our grace values. I need to just, I think, be reminded of this. It's not that it doesn't happen. Christ is in me. I need to be reminded of that. I've heard in recent times about teams going off. We heard one about, about it today, about Mark and Carol fostering, about Ronnie and the food bank, about Ethel and Cap, about Stan on the edge, about Marlene working with women on the edge. I don't know whether it's women on the edge or women in the edge. <laughs> And, 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 and John with YFC and Paul and UAE, these things inspire me. They inspire me because I say, you know, I can do that. And Christ is in me in the same way that Christ is in them. Rosalind Davis, who wrote a book, Faith in the Streets, about street pastors, says this, Jesus tells me to go rather than stay and wait for people to come to me. And I worry sometimes that maybe I've settled too much for comfort. Romans 12 says this, don't become so well adjusted, and we're just closing now, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Would you hear this? You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. There's plenty of evidence that there are people reaching out, but for some of us, me included, I want to be encouraged by you guys to do more. So thank you for the example that you give me. And this time next year, let's have a wee look at this value and say, is it true? Is this a value of Grace Fellowship? Because do you know what? If it is, it's not going to look like what it is now. We're going to be changed. We're going to be a bit more messy, I suspect. That's not going to be comfortable. And if we're not messy, well, we'll still ask, are we reaching out? But let's only say this and claim this if it's true of us. I want to belong to a church. I said this before. Where G, uh, that is like this. Jesus made the outcast and the destitute and the sinner welcome. I want to ask the question, what would that look like in here to this fellowship in such a place?